Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California, Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, Aaron. And third-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Aaron. Hey, everybody. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on this episode, we're going to talk about parenting strategies to help with disruptive behavior. So if you are a parent and you're struggling, or you have a friend or a family member who is str- having some parenting struggles, then this show is probably Do you probably know anybody who's a parent? Uh, who is struggling who is struggling yeah basically if you have or you know of a parent you should what listen to this show yeah sure <laughs> i i think that's a good criteria for listening to this show uh but especially if you if you're struggling with uh disruptive behaviors maybe with your kid um because you've joined us for a good a good episode when we're pleased to have as our guest to discuss these issues dr emma gerard she's a licensed clinical psychologist certified global trainer in parent child interaction therapy or pcit She's faculty at the UCR School of Medicine in the Department of Psychiatry and Neuroscience, and she is the lead author of the book, Parent-Child Interaction Therapy with Toddlers, Improving Attachment and Emotion Regulation. Dr. Gerard, thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Get Psyched. Appreciate the invitation, Aaron. So nice to see you, Tosha, and Alan as well. Yeah, nice to see you again. And, you know, maybe we could just start because I bet people do not have a clue. Most people out there do not have a clue about what PCIT is or parent-child interaction therapy. So could you give us a brief user-friendly explanation of what that is? Oh, absolutely. Because everybody loves acronyms. So PCIT, yes, parent-child interaction therapy is really about teaching families how they can have connections before you lead into how to correct your child. So we're looking at the younger age range, your three-year-olds to six-year-old age groups. You know, three-year-olds and six-year-olds, they complain, they whine, they have tantrums. There's a lot of emotional change in this age group. So we really talk about how to get down, play at their level so that you can connect with them, let them feel special and important, grow their self-esteem. And then we move into a second phase of the therapy, teaching discipline strategies, how to give commands, have your child follow through and comply when you're telling them to do things like put your toys away or brush your teeth, all those day-to-day activities that create havoc in the household. Now, PCIT, the original PCIT is for a broader age range, right? Yeah, standard PCIT was developed in 1970s. And so it began usually around two and a half years of age. And we go up to the seven-year-old age range. But there are lots of adaptations. So PCIT has been adapted for an older age kids mm. all the way up to age 10. And there's an adaption for toddlers starting as young as 12 months of age into that 30, 36-month window as well. I'm going to ask you a question about what led to the need to have a therapy like this that puts like the uh, values the relationship first. What do you what did you notice or what did the the developers notice about um, some parenting challenges that led to or facilitated or increased disruptive behaviors in kids? Well, it's such a great question, Aaron. I think one of the things that was um, unusual people think really you're sending your three year old to therapy. What's going on? Yet, if you have a three-year-old who's been kicked out of daycare, who's been kicked out of preschool, who all the aunties and uncles are like, "Um, we're not watching your kid. They're the ones who are struggling on like, how do I, how do I change the relationship dynamic? So I'm not getting phone calls. I'm not getting pulled away from work. 
So we needed a therapy that really focused on the relationship first. Think about it. If you have a boss who is really hostile and really aggressive, you go into work for the paycheck and you are doing the least amount possible. But if you've got an employer who is encouraging, builds you up, wants you to reach that next level in your professional development, like you're a little bit more willing to bend over backwards that person. You're going to get those reports done on time. So it uses that same concept when working with little kids. They need to feel important and an equal part of the relationship before we work on how do you punish them and how do you correct them. If they don't feel an equal part of a relationship, you're in an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like, uh, you know, I mean, in, in the adult therapy world, there's been a huge value placed on therapeutic alliance, which is, which is essentially the relationship between the patient and the provider. You're talking here about more about the, the relationship between the child and the parent. Is that right? Oh, Alan, that is so on point. What we talk about in PCAT is that there's a parallel process. That means the therapist needs to encourage the parent and be positive of the way they're interacting with their child, just like we want the parent to be positive towards their child. So that therapeutic alliance goes in all directions, from the clinician to the caregiver, from the caregiver then to the child. What's really interesting about PCIT was um, the is, is the setup of the therapy. So the parent and the child are in a room that has a one-way mirror so that the therapist who's on the other side of that one-way mirror can speak to the parent using a little um, earpiece uh, so that the child can't hear the therapist speaking to the parent. And then the parent is basically facilitating all the therapy through the interactions, the direct interactions with the child. Um, so I, that's the unique or one of the main features of PCIT that I think makes it so successful is that it's it doesn't feel like therapy. It feels like playtime between a parent and, and his or her child. That's really cool about the earpiece. And I think we should come back to that and ask um, Emma some of the things that she might say in the earpiece. But first, can we have Emma go back? I'd like to finish out. Like I liked Aaron's idea of like how this was born. I think I might've been the one that interrupted it. So sorry, but (laughs) 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 But how is this born? Like what was, how did this get born from a problem and, and what was the early development of it? Yeah. So Dr. Sheila Eiberg is the developer of parent child interaction therapy, which came out of the seventies. And what we were looking at at that time were really oppositional defiant behaviors. Again, those children who were being kicked out of daycare settings, preschool settings, and it was unusual. Like, what do you do with a child who's been kicked out of three daycare settings? And what they found more often than not, that there was what was called a coercive cycle between the caregiver and the kid. So the kid learned, if I yell and scream, the parent then gets upset and either will give in and give me what I want because they're tired of dealing with my kind of escalating behavior, or the parent then will escalate, yell and scream, and either spank the child or threaten the child. And then the kid backs off and says, oop, I've gone too far. And so they give up. So it's really about correcting typically a coercive cycle that's taken place. And you don't even realize that this pattern has developed over time. You don't realize 
that your kid starts whining and you're like, knock it off. And they whine again. And you're like, stop it. And they whine again. And then you get up and say, if you do it one more time, I'm sitting here. And because like, oh, I really pissed you off. So <laughs> now I'll be quiet. That's kind of that start of the coercive cycle. They learn to only listen when there's an extreme reaction. Hmm. And that really takes away from that ability to connect. So then when you're in a school setting or a daycare setting, you can see how it becomes really ineffective, right? And they, it's not tolerated in those environments. And so these kids are often pushed out, not because they're not wonderful people who are great citizens to society, but they haven't had the chance to kind of feel connected, have self-esteem created. As I had a four-year-old tell me, I don't get no respect. Like they, they model the world mm -hmm. around them. Why do I get yelled at, but I'm not allowed to yell at anyone else? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you must deal with a lot of uh, uh, um, parents that are set in their ways because they're all into rules or this coercive cycle and um, they're into authority. And so how do you like how do you talk to them so that they're flexible in their thinking and they want to do this uh, more relationship-based approach? Oh, I think that's such an important part, Erin, is how do you build that therapeutic alliance then when you're saying, hey, we're going to start with playtime. And a, a parent might look at you like, what are you talking about? My kid's cussing at me. Mm -hmm. I'm not playing on the floor with them. I need to deal with this negative behavior. And so the approach is often that if a child went to classical individual therapy, you would drop them off. They would play with a clinician who has wonderful play therapy skills. And that child probably does really well in that hour. And then you pick them up and they go home. And yet, how does that then translate to the home environment? So PCAT was really about how do I help you learn the skills that a play therapist uses in order to connect with your child so that we can decrease some of the negative behaviors. And then as that relationship strengthens, be able then to teach you effective discipline strategies because all parents need discipline strategies as well. Let's get into some of this. I'm intrigued with how this can work. So what would be some of these uh, social skills or relationship building skills with a toddler that you think are were the most effective that were selected to be used with PCIT? Like what, what actually can parents do out there? It's so cool because we call them our pride skills and pride skills help enhance your relationship. So the P means you praise, praise your child for things that they're doing well, because if you praise the behavior, the child will likely repeat that behavior. The R in pride means reflect. So if your kid says something to you, repeat it back to them. They know you're listening. Otherwise, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. That really means you're on your cell phone and you're not truly paying attention to what I've just shared. The I in pride means imitate. So as your child's building a tower with blocks, copy them. Oh, that tower looks really cool. I'm going to build one like you are. So you imitate appropriate behaviors. And then D is describe. For kids that have attention disorders or for kids that are really kind of um, lack focus in organization, when you describe what they're doing, it helps them play longer. Oh my gosh, you stacked that red piece on top. Dude, you're making that so tall right? That helps kids go, oh, I'm going to keep working on it. I'm getting lots of feedback for what I'm doing. It helps them expand their play, which means they have better organizational skills and longer ability to focus and stay on task. So that's the D, describe the behavior. 
And our E of pride skills is enjoy spending time with them. Are you smiling at each other? Do you have good eye contact? Is there little fist bumps or high fives or pats on the back? Those little touches that say, like, we do have a nice, solid connection. And what's interesting with these pride skills, when you look at children without behavior problems, parents naturally do this. They naturally praise their kids. They naturally describe their behavior. And we see it around five or six comments in those pride skills in five minutes. The children who usually get referred to us for therapy, when we do their baseline play assessment, they typically get zero. There's zero of any of those skills. And that's usually a sign that that coercive cycle is so strong and so present. And so we use that information to talk with our parents about, yep, we're going to teach you to be a play therapist. And then don't worry, we are going to get to that discipline component because every parent needs it. But I want us to have a good job first and have really good connection before we move to correction. Otherwise, it'll backfire. And we really work that pitch and also let the parent feel like they can try something new. Like, do you like when your parents used to yell and scream at you to get you to do things? You're like, no, I hated it. Exactly. And I don't want you to have to use that same tactic in your own experience of raising your kids. Emma, can you describe the value of the, I, I, I liked how you described the value of each one of them. I, I wasn't sure what the value of the imitation one was. Can you help us understand kind of what that's for? Yeah, imitation is great because as you are trying to build connections, it doesn't mean kids aren't going to test you and do inappropriate things, right? So if you have a child who starts playing in a way that you aren't happy with, if you avoid imitating, if you move away your eye contact, you're no longer praising or describing their behavior. They're like, oh, all the attention has gone away from me. So by imitating, it shows you approve of what you're doing. Then if they start like picking their nose or they're like, oh, doing things that are kind of gross and you no longer imitating them and then you stop looking at them and you're no longer describing, they lose that attention. But kids love attention, but they don't care if it's negative attention or positive attention. But it's easy to get negative attention. And that's why some kids bid for it, because I can really get your reaction if I throw something off the table. But if I just sit here playing quietly with myself, are you even going to notice me? So you're giving something positive that will strengthen the relationship, but also create a situation where the kid has something to lose if they do a behavior you don't love. That's absolutely right, Alan. I also felt like these pride skills really boost kids' self-esteem, too. They feel like, oh, I'm doing something worthwhile. My play ideas are um, interesting to my parent to engage, to want to engage in this play with me. Absolutely, Tosha, because I think we often rely on questions to, like, have a conversation. But if I'm a kid and I'm five and I'm like, what are you building? What are you doing that for? What are you going to do next? Well, do you want to do this? The kid's like, oh, stop it, (laughs) right? Like it kind of interferes with their ability to be creative. So if they're building and the parent's like, again, you stack that red block up there. Oh, that looks like a super cool castle that you're making. Oh, your friend at school is going to love getting to play with you like this. The kids really start to hear what they're doing well and what behaviors to repeat in order to get that positive social feedback. I also have to say, when I was learning PCIT, that first component of PCIT, which are the pride skills, and then those things, I forgot what the acronym is for the things you're not supposed to do, but like ask questions. That was really hard. They're, they're really simple instructions, but you really have to practice those to get good at them. 
Absolutely. Avoiding questions, avoiding commands, and avoiding critical statements. Um, and questions and commands are the hardest. This doesn't mean we tell parents you can never give a command, like go brush your teeth. That's a normal everyday life command. What we teach is when you spend five minutes a day playing with your kid, they get to practice being in a leadership role. And how cool for them to get to be in that leadership role mm-hmm. for five minutes a day. The rest of the day, they're not the leader. They have to follow. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. And we're talking to Dr. Emma Gerard about parent interaction or parent-child interaction therapy. Sorry, PCIT, sorry. Uh, and uh, we're, we're trying to find also just to help parents that are struggling and try to improve things. And I, you know, talking about parents struggling and then just uh, maybe issues that you see kids uh, display, like disruptive behaviors, there's also been an increase in ADHD diagnosis. Um, there's been a concern about uh, the impact of social media and video games. Are, are you comfortable with venturing um, some thoughts about uh, if if parenting is playing a role with this increase or maybe um, the, the, the attention and then maybe the disruptive, the increase in this disruptive behaviors? Yeah, happy to pipe in on that topic, Aaron. I think relationships really form kind of how you move about the world, right? And in fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends PCAT as a treatment intervention for ADHD because just that skill of behavior description that skill in appraising their ability to focus is a natural way to help them prolong that skill and practice the skill with positive reinforcement. So yeah, relationships have a big part of shaping the way we interact in society. And we learn at home first what we do then in the outside world. Can you say something about food? I'm sorry, I'm just going to dominate things for just a second, Tosha and Alan, thank you. Um, but can you say something about uh, food and eating, I'm just, I'm seeing an increase in that with uh, my kid can't eat this or doesn't want to eat that. And um, it's a, a struggle, a real struggle with parents that I, I am familiar with, with that. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that kind of linked to one of Tosha's questions earlier about how do you take this model and adapt it to younger age children? So when we're talking about PCAT with toddlers, one of the biggest things that you have to add in that is coached in standard PCAT, but maybe not so directly is the idea of emotion regulation, right? You have to kind of sit with the child when they're like, oh, yuck, this tastes nasty and they don't want it. (laughs) Instead of just taking it away and giving them what they want is, oh, I know sometimes something new is feels weird in our mouth and Mm -hmm. it does maybe feel a little bit yucky, but you know what? Mom's going to give it a try. And I really like it. Oh, and I see grandma, she's having hers and it actually is a really healthy thing. So you've got to sit with the feeling instead of that natural propensity to like want to make everything okay too soon and like take away anything that's discomforting. It's kind of sitting with them through the discomfort Mm -hmm. to help them kind of learn new skills. And that's a big part of emotion regulation. So um, transitioning over to the toddler modifications, are there any other highlights? And then I want to talk about what sort of outcomes you've seen uh, with PCIT treatment. And adding to that, I'm not letting anything proceed until we get to hear what you're saying, like over the little FBI agent earpiece when you're behind the glass. I think that links in to to what Tosh is saying, but we have to hear the directions. Absolutely. So as that caregiver is playing with their kid, 
and they're doing one of these pride skills. The first thing I'm going to do if a parent gives a praise, I'm going to say beautiful timing on that label praise. Notice he's going to repeat it because you praised it. Then the parent and child are playing some more and the kid might've said, my rocket's going to blast off into space. And the parent's like, wow, your rocket's really blasting off. My gosh, he knows you heard him and that you pay attention and his words have value. Beautiful reflection. So I'm giving a rationale to the skill of each um, that we enforce live in the moment. So that live coaching is really the agent of change. And that's how we can um, debunk that coercive cycle by in the moment, giving them ideas of what to say, what to do, and then reinforce what they're doing well. So it looks like this. So like in the room with the parent and the child, they're having a play session and there's the parents supposed to be practicing the pride skills and all the PCIT skills. And in the earpiece, the uh, therapist, the PCIT therapist is um, noting like what pride skills they're using, how often they're using them, and then giving them suggestions or feedback on the use of those pride skills. So it's not like typical therapy at all. Right, because it's more of a higher level intervention. Like you can go to a wonderful parenting workshop. And if you have low kind of level concerns, you get a beautiful tip from a parenting workshop. You can apply it on your own and it works beautifully. To this day, I cannot bake a souffle. I've watched the cooking shows. I have read the recipe, but there's something about the way the batter needs to feel, right? (laughs) There's something about the look that I need to know that if I had a chef with me, they would be able to coach me like, ah, that's it. That's the glossy sheen you need in order to get that souffle to rise. So for certain things, that live coaching element is what parents find the most beneficial. Um, And so if you've tried a standard parenting group before and didn't find it very effective, you might find this interactive coaching style a better fit for you. So let's move Sorry, let's move. We're just, we have like less than 10 minutes left. Can we move to talking about specific toddler modifications you want to highlight and then the outcomes you want to highlight? Um, Because I do want to talk about how PCIT affects children's resilience specifically towards the end of the show. Oh, I think it's so important because as we think about kids in the coercive cycle, if we can intervene early and have more of a preventative model, then the course of cycle doesn't develop, right? If you can get those nice parenting skills, if you can have that really good connection early on, you're not having to worry about undoing that that behavior. So for toddlers, we're really focusing, as I mentioned, emotion regulation, and we call these cares. When your kid's having a big emotion, toddlers don't have tantrums. I'm 18 months old. I don't have an on-purpose tantrum. I'm 18 months old, and I'm crying because I'm losing it. I don't understand what's happening around me. So I can't um, strategically turn my attention away from the 18-month-old. They'll just get more upset because they need help. They need help to co-regulate. So in teaching this younger age group, the adaptation in PCAT toddlers, we use our CARES model. So like PRIDE, it has a step for each skill. So when a child's having a big feeling, the first C is to come in you got to be calm and close and present. And then you assist them in solving the problem. So A is assist the child. They get frustrated because they can't put the toy sorter in the right hole. And they're losing their mind. So instead of just <laughs> doing it here, do it and hand it back to them, that loses the opportunity to learn. So assist is putting your hand on top of theirs. Oh, we twist, twist. Bing, yay. The star went in there. 
So assist the child through that feeling and problem solving for early teaching. The R of our cares is to reassure. Kids feel like they're the only thing that matters. So that reassures, daddy's here to help you. Grandma's got you, you're not alone, right? It's not changing their feeling. It's just letting them know that someone's there to hold them through the big emotion. And then E of our cares is emotionally validate. Because then you do want to teach emotional vocabulary. You're really frustrated because that toy didn't fit. You're really mad because the cookie is all gone. You're really sad because mommy had to leave for work. You want to label why they're having the emotion they are. Because that gives them vocabulary, emotional vocabulary. So that's the E of that care step. And then the S means soothe. You use your voice and you use touch to soothe toddlers, right? So you, we all know that sing-song voice, like peekaboo and how are you? We don't come up to a you know, 15-month-old and be like, hey. You typically <laughs> do like, hi, buddy. Like there's a little change in that. So you use your voice to soothe. You pat them, you rock them, you pick them up to help them through that emotion regulation. But if I, as an adult, don't have emotion regulation, how am I supposed to like come in all calm, smooth, and collected, right? If my parenting has me on edge, or if I've experienced depression, anxiety, and trauma, and my kid is crying, the last thing I want to do is go pick them up. I might want to push away. I don't want to be anywhere near it. So we then have to teach our adults how they can do their own adult cares. How can they check into their emotions, right? Clue into themselves. How can they assist themselves? Do they need to learn a deep breathing technique or progressive muscle relaxation so they can get calm first before approaching the child? And then as adult, how do you reassure yourself? That baby didn't come with a manual. You might have one child who is super easy peasy. And then this next child, you're like, I don't even know what's going on here, right? So how do you reassure yourself that you're doing the best you can in the moment, right? What's your positive self-talk like? And then E, being emotionally aware. Kids have a sixth sense. Like if you're feeling under the weather and have a bit of a cold, that's when they're super clingy to you. And you're like, really? This is when I like want my most of a nap time. They're clingy because they know you're off and that makes them nervous. And so we have to be really aware of what our body language is showing to toddlers. So E for our adult cares is emotional awareness. The S stays the same, sensitive and soothing. Are you being kind to yourself? Are you saying I'm a terrible parent? I don't know what I'm doing. How do you feel about protectionism? I'm using that in kind of a strange way, but uh, the Santa Claus exists and it's too early for them to know, or it's too early for them to know that they're adopted, or it's too early for them to know what sex is. And I'm thinking of the, the reason I'm thinking of this is your example just now of like, is there ever a time when it's too early for them to know that you have a cold or that you're under the weather? How, how, do, how do you feel about all this stuff? Yeah, no, I think it's such an important question, Alan. Thanks for asking it because emotion regulation comes from you. Um, and how you role model to kids. And so in psychology, we always say age-appropriate honesty. And what are your family values and the values that you want in your home? So if one family wants to do Santa Claus, then we will encourage that. If one does, we will follow their lead. Family values are important. What we won't encourage is lying to kids, right? Because sometimes we have maybe a parent member who's gone to incarceration. And so if we say, oh, he's gone to work, Guess what? That kid thinks work is a bad thing because you leave and never come back. So we really look at age-appropriate honesty 
They're not entitled to all the details when they're little, but what is an age appropriate way to be honest with them so that they can trust you, stay connected to you and learn about your role modeling to them and not be angry at you in the future that you lied to them for X amount of years of their life. So in the last two minutes, can we talk about what outcomes you've seen with PCIT and um, if we could just drop a little bit about resilience in children? Absolutely. So when we look at standard PCIT, what we see in outcomes is that when children go through treatment, they're externalizing behavior. So the getting kicked out of school, getting kicked out of daycare reduces significantly. They're able to stay in their classrooms longer. And our outcome data show that these gains last six years after therapy has been completed. So they're really sustainable because the parent is the agent of change and the parent is the one who learned the model. In terms of our little toddlers, we look at the DeVoe Early Childhood Assessment to see what are their protective factors? How are we growing the attachment relationship? How are we growing a child's ability to explore their environment, their self-regulation skills? So we use this DECA measure to then track is the intervention making those improvements which add to the overall protective factors. And how did that how did that come out? We're seeing the same beautiful results. What's even more exciting is that disorganized attachment, there are four kinds of attachment styles, disorganized, secure, insecure, and ambivalent. And when you look at that, disorganized attachment have the worst outcomes growing into adult life. And yet in PCAT toddlers, in our research study, 86% of kids who had disorganized attachments pre-treatment we're now into an organized state post-therapy. That's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about parenting strategies for disruptive behaviors and in particular parent-child interaction therapy with our guest, Dr. Gerard, Dr. Emma Gerard. Uh, uh, Emma, thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Get Psyched. It was an absolute pleasure. Happy to be here. She's the lead author of the book, Parent-Child Interaction Therapy with Toddlers, Improving Attachment and Emotion Regulation. Also, thanks to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com, and you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.